0: Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville. Smithville local pride global technology information at smithville.net mother bear's pizza of bloomington open daily and offering gourmet pizzas hot submarine sandwiches and salads with daily specials menu available online at motherbearspizza.com 332-4495 for delivery
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald Times in Bloomington, along with co-host Daniel Robinson from WFIU, and our guest in the studio today is 9th District Congressman Barron Hill. You can join the program by calling eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348 if you're outside of the Bloomington area. You can join the discussion on our website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow along on Twitter at Noon Edition. Barron, thank you for being here. Good to be here, Bob. All right. It's good to, good to see you as always. Uh, before we get into the serious stuff, I, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about your basketball playing ability again, <laughs> that President Obama's uh, invited you to, to play basketball. Tell us about that.
2: Well, uh, the president is a pretty good basketball player. I've watched him play before, and he's learned that I uh, used to play the game uh, uh, 20 pounds ago and uh, called me up uh, last week, as a matter of fact, to talk to me about several things, but one of them was a pickup basketball game. I told him better hurry up uh, pretty quickly for me to be competitive. I'm 56 years old now, and I'm running out of time. But but I'm looking forward to it. All
1: right. Well, you'll be able to run up and down the court a few times anyway. A few times anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get into the the more serious stuff, I guess, although that basketball is serious in Indiana. We all know that. Uh, But, you know, the health care reform issue has taken a a lot of – A lot of ink for newspapers it has been taking a lot of your time, probably most of your time recently. But I just want to give you a chance before we start taking calls and get into other questions to outline, you know, where you are on this issue at this point.
2: Well, we passed it out of the Energy Commerce Committee. There's actually three committees of jurisdiction, Uh, the Energy and Commerce Committee, which I serve on, Ways and Means, and the Labor and Education Committee. And each has a different responsibility for it. Uh, the responsibility that Energy and Commerce had uh, for, uh, was the, the part that d- – the structure of what it's going to look like, not how you're going to pay for it. Uh, that's uh, ways and means uh, responsibility. But th- this plan, if we pass it, uh, will not do anything uh, to anybody who has insurance now. If you have insurance now, there's, your life is not going to change uh, one iota, not at all. You can keep your insurance and things will be just as normal as they are now. Uh, if you don't have insurance, you will be required to uh, uh, buy insurance. And what will happen is, is there will be an exchange set up that will be run by Health and Human Services. And on the exchange, you'll be able to buy either a private insurance uh, a company's uh, a policy or you'll be able to go to a public option. Uh, and then if you have trouble uh, paying for it, then the government will subsidize you in terms of your payments. And that subsidy runs from anywhere from 70 percent to 92 percent. And mm-hmm. whatever the premiums are.
1: right, And that's one of the things that we keep hearing, I guess, in a lot of the town hall meetings is that you know, you're going to take away my insurance, but that's just not true. Not true at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the public t- – I want to know a little bit more about the public option. So have the details been worked out as to you know, how that insurance would compare to a lot of private policies that are out there? Is it a menu of things that you could choose?
2: Uh, well, actually, the public plan will be a plan that has to conform with all the rules and regulations the private insurance companies have to conform with. Uh, there will be a set of standards, economic standards, for these insurance companies com- to comply with uh, in order for them to be solvent. Um, and the uh, public plan will have to comport with all of those same regulations. Uh, we'll, they'll even have to figure in the taxes that a normal insurance company would have to pay, and that has to be a part of the, their fee structure uh, or taken in consideration. So the idea, in theory, is uh, if you have a public plan that it will drive uh, down the insurance premiums, of of, of, um, of private insurance carriers, I, you know, I have a little problem with that. I'm, I'm not sure that that's actually true, but that's what uh, all the economists are saying. Before I turn it over to Daniel, because I know he's
1: got a lot of questions, too. I just wanted to to go back in this debate because or this discussion because uh, you know I've I've talked with you before many elections, and I and I think whenever this health care... Uh, bill has come up. I think your standard line has been, you know, we have to decide as a country whether we think health care is a right or health care is a privilege. And what you're planning on, it seems like, uh,
2: really confirms that health care is a right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not right for some people who are sick through no uh, cause of their own uh, to be denied uh, health insurance coverage because um, you know, their health condition. Uh, In this bill, if you have diabetes or you have a heart problem or you got cancer or you have anything, you cannot be denied. Pre-existing conditions will be eliminated. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a good thing for a lot of
3: Americans who need health
2: insurance. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, Congressman, uh, based on what you've told me, this sounds like a, a pretty reasonable plan. Why do you think that people around the country uh, and people in the Ninth District feel so threatened by it? What do you think is behind uh, such, a pa- such the, the passionate outcry that's been going on here?
2: Well, we've been trying to – Get health insurance in this country for everybody since Harry Truman was president of the United States. And every time we have failed, hopefully this time we'll be successful. Uh, the answer to your question is, uh, in in today's argument against it, uh, a lot of things, if you, if anybody uh, read the New York Times this morning, there was an interesting article in there about how the Washington Times and other uh, conservative publications have uh, stirred up all these controversies. For example, the one that's uh, prevalent right now is the death uh, uh, committee that's going to determine whether or not you're going to die or live if you get sick. Nothing could be further from the truth, uh, but these people are, are uh, putting that out there. Sarah Palin, for example, is one of the big promoters of it, and it's nothing but a lie. Uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I don't like to use that strong word, but that's exactly what it is, and there are certain people uh, out there and uh, who are uh, claim to be uh, stalwart uh, conservatives who, who want to kill this legislation, so they're willing to say and do just about anything to try to kill
3: it. Why, why do you think they want to kill it? Why do you think they're going so far as to lie about something to make sure it doesn't happen?
2: I don't know. I just think they feel like that uh, uh, this health care plan is socialism, and socialism is a dirty word. Uh, the facts are uh, we all believe in the free market system, but there are elements of socialism that we have. Medicare, is, a, in my view, is, kind of a, is a semi-socialistic system that we have. But yet I think if you ask most people if they like their Medicare, they'll say, yes, We want to, don't don't mess around with our Medicare. Matter of fact, we're getting uh, calls into our office that says, don't don't socialize medicine. Medicare is too important to to me. I'm on it. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what's out there, and it is what it is, and we have to deal with it.
3: Mm -hmm. Do you feel that most people in the district you talk to about health care aren't very educated about the topic?
2: Well, there's a lot of people who are educated. It's the ones who don't want it who appear to be uneducated about it, in my view, and are saying things that they uh, don't know exactly what they're saying. Now, I can remember yesterday I was in a different city in my district and I was talking to a bunch of protesters yesterday and it was a civil conversation. Uh, but uh, clearly uh, there was some misinformation or lack of knowledge about what was being proposed. I, uh, I remember one lady was telling me, she says, uh, you can't do this because it's going to take my insurance that I have uh, away from me. And I asked her where she worked and she told me and I said, well, nothing's going to change for you, man. Nothing at all. You'll get to keep your insurance and nothing will change. Life will go on. And she w- wouldn't believe me. She said, no, 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 you're, you're wrong. I know what's in this, uh, in this bill, and it's going to take my insurance away. So, you know, you do the best you can and, and, and leave the rest to see what happens.
1: What do you think the impact would be um, on the private insurance companies? Because I think a lot of them are, are fearful of the bill and what it might do to them.
2: Well, there's also, Bob, a lot of companies, uh, private insurance companies who want this bill. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they want it is because there's going to be 40 million new uh, – uh, uh, people that uh, they're, they're going to be able to insure. And so that's a financial incentive for them. Uh, they have uh, Many of them have agreed that they'll accept pre-existing conditions as long as they'll have a chance to uh, to be able to insure uh, some of these 40 million people that are not insured now. Mm-hmm. So you
1: don't think it would have a negative effect? on? You think I don't. I think it would be a positive effect. I, a positive effect. Mm-hmm.
2: I remember one insurance agent was telling me how much opposed he was to this until he found out that... Uh, uh, we put an amendment in to allow him to sell this in- these insurance policies. And all of a sudden, it just it flipped him. It, it completely flipped him. He was for it.
1: Yep. All right. Our phone is again, 855-0811, 877-285-9348. You can uh, find us on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can follow us at noon edition on Twitter. Um, another term that we hear quite often is single-payer plan. Mm-hmm. Is this a single-payer plan of any kind?
2: No, it's not. Uh, the public option has nothing to do with a single-payer plan. Now, there are a lot of people, especially here in Bloomington, that want a single-payer plan. And uh, and I understand the, the, you know, the logic of their desire there. Uh, but the president has uh, come out for whatever reason uh, against a single-payer payer plan. I think it's more political than anything else, but he just feels like uh, – doing that is not political, uh, politically possible, so we, we've gone a different way.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, Congressman, I got an email earlier this week from uh, Thomas and uh, he has this question. He writes, uh, I appreciate your reasoned and calm approach to health care reform and remember the people who are trying to end this debate by shouting loudly and being physically intimidating are not going to vote for you no matter what you do. Given that cost is a major issue and that insurance company profits and administrative expensive expenses are major components of that cost. Why don't you join the effort to have the Congressional Budget Office at least cost out a single-payer option? Thank you.
2: Well, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that that will probably happen because Anthony Weiner from New York, uh, when we get back uh, in September, is going to be offering uh, an amendment to the bill that would create a single-payer system. And before he'll be able to do that, uh, the Congressional Budget Office will score that in in answer to his question, so we'll know. Mm -hmm. All right. We have three phone callers now. Uh, the first one is Wayne. Wayne, go ahead.
4: Hi, Congressman. I, I get nervous when I hear anyone claim that private medical insurance could, prov- could survive, that private medical insurance could survive government medical insurance, especially when government medical insurance will provide insurance for preexisting conditions. What is to prevent? I, I just I just wait until I get sick. So, so I have a pre-existing condition now because I'm, I'm sick now. So then I, I buy insurance so the insurance can pay my medical bills. Now, now what what private insurance company could survive that kind of a that kind of a mandate?
2: Well, Wayne, I can only tell you what the insurance companies have told me, and that's that they're willing to take pre-existing conditions if they have an opportunity to insure 40 million people. Uh, so uh, uh, they've probably calculated it some way that they that they can do this. Uh, knowing full well that uh, there is going to be some cost for pre existing conditions. Now, to answer your question even further, as you know, many group policies uh, that companies have, uh, like let's just take a hypothetical ABC corporation, if they are insuring their employees, if a sick employee comes on board, that person has to be insured. There is no pre existing condition. So that system is already in place. It is just going to go national here with this uh, plan. Yeah, I think.
1: Uh question is you know would a bunch of people wait until and, and they're sick to, to have insurance and I can't really picture that but, I, I can't either but anyway uh, that's Wayne's uh, position and his concern and now we're going to go to Rob hey Rob
4: Hi it's Rob Stone Hi Rob Thanks. And, uh, I know you all hey Rob greetings Baron and uh, I'm gonna I wanted to just talk a, a little bit more to ask you to talk about the, uh, the so-called death panels which is um, you know, such a disturbing thing for me because you know, I'm a physician and um, I've been practicing in Bloomington for 26 years now. Ever since I was a junior in medical school and really started working on the wards with sick people, I have wanted to see more discussion about end-of-life issues, uh, more discussions within families, more discussions by uh, b- between patients and their doctors. And from my reading of, uh, you know, the the House versions of the bill, um, what this bill would encourage uh, is basically more counseling, more discussion, uh, encouraging people to talk about end-of-life issues, and so to call this idea death panels is just uh, so disturbing to me. I mean, this is an idea that I've wanted for, you know, ever since before I even graduated from medical school, and, uh, and I'm just so... So upset that uh, they're being uh, smeared as, as death panels. Um, tell a little bit what you think about that.
2: Well, I'm glad you, glad you asked the question, uh, Doctor Stone. Um, this is disturbing to me too. Um, there is no, there are no death panels in this bill, and I want to make that perfectly clear. There are no death panels in this bill. What is is what is in this bill is an opportunity for a person when they sign up for the insurance to make a choice. And it's their choice whether or not they want to do a living will. And if they want to do the living will, then they check off that they do. If they don't want a living will, they they check off that they don't want one. But if they decide they want one, then they'll construct a living will uh, with uh, all kinds of advice from doctors, lawyers, whoever they want to advise. Um, And uh, that uh, living will will be included in on the electronic medical records so that it's not put away uh, under somebody's bed in a shoebox, but that record will be available so that uh, when a person does come to the time uh, that they may die, then uh, doctors will be able to refer to that medical record, the living will, uh, determine uh, what kind of treatment uh, that person may or may not want. And that's all it is. But I want to repeat one more time, no matter what uh, Sarah Palin says, there are no death panels here in this bill.
1: Rob, any other comments? Rob's gone. All right, let's go to Joe. Joe?
5: Yeah, hi, Representative Hill. Uh, The reason I'm calling is because I've got a feeling we really don't know the extent of the cost savings that we're going to get from uh, uh, the Medicare, not the Medicare bill, but the new one, uh, and that it's going to be tremendous. The reason I'm saying that is there are certain diseases, for instance, something like mantle cell leukemia where you've got a situation where most of the treatment is being done by individual physicians uh... using what they call standard shop therapy and um it's okay except uh... if you get a recurrence which you do with that disease uh... you have to take more therapy and that can damage organs and that sends you back to the hospital there's a new treatment out for radioactive isotopes being used uh... which eliminates uh... toxicity to organs reduces the trips to the hospital and uh... gives longer remission periods and hopefully will one day lead to a cure with uh... with uh... the problem is that right now there's nothing to force the ninety percent of the doctors using the standard therapy to switch to the new type of treatment uh... would med Uh, be a way of instituting best practices to move physicians to use the most cost-effective treatments for these kinds of diseases. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you for the call, Joe. You're obviously uh, very well informed as to what's going on. Uh, In answer to your question on MedPAC, MedPAC was originally proposed by the president. It was something that uh, I actually embraced for, uh, for a while because I was told by Peter Orszag, who is the uh, director of OMB? That there would be huge savings in terms of doing exactly what you are talking about. Uh, but uh, the Congressional Budget Office scored it at only a $2 billion savings. So uh, myself, along with others who originally supported the MedPAC, decided not to go with it because it, it, didn't, uh, it, it caused a lot of political problems, but it, it, it was something I felt had to be done if it was going to. Um, Uh, save a lot of money, uh, because this bill is going to be expensive, and we need to figure out ways to reform the system to save money. And MedPAC uh, was uh, really something I thought would would help do that, but when it came out to only be $2 billion, then we all backed off on it. But to the larger uh, point, uh, the cost of of this uh, bill uh, is expensive, but the cost of doing nothing is even more expensive, because right now, when a person goes to a hospital who doesn't have insurance, they go to the emergency room. It's more expensive in the emergency room. They get their treatment there. They leave, and they don't, and they don't have the ability to pay the bill. So what's the hospitals and the doctors do? They pass it on to the rest of us. And that is really more expensive, uh, a more expensive system than the one we're trying to create here. But, Joe, your question was a good one. I hope I've uh, answered, uh, answered it adequately.
3: All right. Yeah, the callers have been in calling, uh, asking about the contents of the bill, but a lot of the, the public debate doesn't seem to be about what's actually in the bill. It, uh, what you seem to hear about are the public relations campaigns of the both sides of this issue. So how do you sort through it all? How, do, how is the public supposed to sort through what's PR and what's actually in this bill? Well, we're actually contributing to that right
2: now on this radio program. And I, I've spent the last two weeks traveling around my district uh, talking to um, – uh, hospitals and doctors, uh, speaking to civic clubs. Uh, uh, I've had uh, private meetings with uh, leaders in different communities and uh, I'm about to, uh, here probably soon, uh, uh, tr- try to create some town hall settings that remain civil. And uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly how we're going to do that, but I want to make sure that we don't create a venue for people just to come in and, and shout and scream at uh, that. That doesn't serve anybody very well. We're thinking about putting together some smaller groups uh, to come into my office uh, to keep the uh, level of discussion meaningful. And so in answer to your question, we're trying to get the word out exactly what's in this bill. And this radio program is a part of getting that message out.
3: Well, as a United States representative, how does it make you feel when you see uh, other members of, of, uh, of Congress – Having members of the public scream at them and, and become physically violent, how does that make you feel? What does that uh, say to you about the level of discourse in this country? Well, uh, Daniel, the, the point I would like to
2: make is I think the overwhelming majority of people are not like the screamers. I think the overwhelming majority of Americans are civil, well-behaved, and they really maybe have some concerns about this bill but are having a hard time finding out what it's all about at these town hall meetings because... The other people are shouting everybody down, and so they're not doing a service to anybody. They're actually hurting the democratic process. But in answer to your question, I'm I'm here to say that I I, I know that most people are are not like that. It's just a a small
3: loud minority. Mm-hmm. Well, when President Obama, Obama was elected, anybody who listened to him during the campaign knew that a, a health care overhaul was coming. And so you must have anticipated this to some degree and, and a lot of people anticipated that health care would be addressed sometime this year. And so a lot of people were sort of gearing up for it and preparing for it. But has it surprised you this, when this thing started to erupt uh, You know, last month? Has that surprised you, uh, the, the things that have been going on in this country? The, the level of shouting
2: and uh, finger pointing it, it did surprise me, I must admit. Uh, I've been in Congress now for 10 years and – Every year of my service in Congress, I've heard when I've come back to my district in, here in, in southern Indiana, to my home, I heard about health care just about every forum I was ever at, that we've got to do health care reform. For 10 years, I've been hearing it from literally thousands of people. And now all I'm hearing from basically is the shouters. And um, it's time for those people that I've been talking to over the last 10 years to get active here. If they really want this, they're, they're going to their, their voices need to be heard. And so if you're listening out there, I would encourage you to uh, uh, make your voices heard.
3: So when you take these concerns back to Washington, will you, uh, what you've been hearing is shouting lately. But you said the past 10 years you've been hearing support for health care overhaul. What's going to really uh, make uh, – drive where your vote goes?
2: Well, I, I have taken the position that if we can work out a good bill here, that uh, I'm going to vote for for a health care bill, if I think it's constructed properly, no matter what, because I think this is the most important issue that I'll ever face as a member of Congress. I put this issue up there with uh, the time that we passed Social Security and passed Medicare. This is another one of those uh, legendary votes that I'm going to be taking. And, uh, and And I'm going to do what I think is best for the American people here in spite of all the shouters. Uh, However, having said that, one thing has to happen in this bill before I'm going to support it, and that is we have to reform the system. Health care costs have been going up so dramatically over the last uh, several years, as we well know, that if we don't change the way that we um, pay for health care in this country, uh, those costs are going to continue to rise. Uh, And so we need to reform the system. Because taking new money and throwing it into an old system is not the way to do it, so these reforms are a necessary part of this uh, of this healthcare bill.
1: Can you give us an example of of uh, you know a change you'd like to see and uh, to how we pay for care? Just
2: yeah, to get a little more specific. Uh, it, this gets the, this is the complicated part. Uh, there's there's 18 different reform proposals in the bill uh, to give you a, a kind of a an example of what it will look like if all those reforms go into place. Uh, we will be uh, paying for health care like we do, like the Mayo Clinic is uh, treating patients. Uh, uh, the Mayo Clinic has the best quality health care in this country at the lowest possible cost. And you, you ask why, and it is because the the fee-for-service uh, policy is not a part of their policy at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, the doctors there are paid uh, salaries, and so they're not ordering uh, extra services uh, to get the fees, uh, and I'm not suggesting that doctors just do that all the time just to get a whole lot of money. I mean, they, the, the fee for service physicians in this country uh, have the patients first, but their system is different up there in the way they're compensated. Now, the, the doctors in, um, in, uh, at the Mayo Clinic are, are paid handsomely. It's not like they're being shortchanged by any stretch of the imag- imagination, but uh, they, they, they treat the patient first, and so they're delivering health care at a lower cost and give them better quality. When I was in Bloomington, I had a, a a young realtor, if she's listening, she knows who she is, but she said, "Baron, I know exactly what you're talking about. She said, I got sick uh, here a while back and I went to six other doctors and, and none of the doctors could figure out what was wrong with me. And then I went to the Mayo Clinic and in four days they diagnosed me and cured me. Mm-hmm. And so there's a perfect example of how you save money. She went to six different uh, doctors, maybe it was five, I can't remember, but nonetheless, it was a whole lot of doctors who could not uh, – did not work in a team concept, so to speak, and couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. Uh, at the Mayo Clinic, she made one stop, found out uh, what was wrong with her, and got cured. So she got better quality care at a whole lot lower cost. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going
1: to have to take a break. We've got four, three or four phone, phone callers, three at least, lined up to talk to us. we got some email. Uh, Baron Hill is here with us today. We're talking about health care. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
6: are listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, Smithville Telephone Information at smithville.net, and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game musical mini-quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, wfiu.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at
1: 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from The Herald Times, along with co-host Daniel Robison from WFIU, and our guest in the studio is 9th District Congressman Baron Hill. If you uh, have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 outside of the local calling area. You can uh, check our website, wfiu.org slash and send in questions there or you can follow us uh, at Noon Edition on Twitter. Uh, we've got a couple phone calls, so let's go quickly to the phones and Bruce is first. Bruce?
7: Yes, uh Baron Hill, I'm going to connect a couple of issues uh, that uh, don't seem to be connected, uh, but I think it's significant, and that is the overcrowding of our uh, prison and jail populations and the lack of an adequate health care system. And uh, I have heard figures that are act- actually shocking that 30% of our prison population actually has a mental illness, and what we know is that mental illness if it goes untreated, can get worse uh, to the point where that person's behavior is going to land them in jail or prison. Uh, the uh, I was just saying that uh, this is a further reason to uh, have a better health care system so that maybe some of these people could get treated early and they wouldn't get in such desperate circumstances that they end up with a prison or jail sentence. Um, and uh, the... Uh, Let me say something about uh, the problem of our overcrowded uh, jails and prisons is that there's not one big solution that's going to solve the problem, and that's probably why we haven't solved it in this country. We're going to have to chip away at it a few percentage points at a time. I'd be very eager to hear any comments you would have to say on this issue.
2: Uh, Bruce, uh, you raise a very interesting uh, question, especially as it relates to uh, mental health. Um, I have learned uh, that mental health needs to be a big part of this bill especially in terms of preventative care. Um, People get into bad habits and do bad things and um, it's related to mental health and I've learned this actually uh, since I've been back on the August break. I've talked to a lot of mental health doctors uh, who are telling me that uh, uh, in in order to keep people healthy, we've got to have better uh, mental health. I can't speak to the prison population. You, you obviously know more about that uh, than I do, but I do know that if we're going to get a handle on uh, future costs, that mental health has to be a part, a big part of this uh, health care bill that we're debating right now. And right now, quite frankly, it is not a big part, but I appreciate the call and uh, I think you're spot on. All right. Let's go back to uh,
1: the next phone caller and it's DJ. DJ?
8: Hi, Representative Hill. I'm enjoying the show. I know that you're a, uh, a politician and not a philosopher. I don't mean that to sound like a loaded question, but I would like to ask you a question about your philosophy on, uh, I'll, I'll use the word the right to health care, or, or I should say the lack of a right to health care, because I think like a lot of big policy issues, um, this one comes down on one hand to a political solution, which is where you come in, but it also comes down to a philosophical solution on how we, we look at this, and I can't help but see some parallels uh, with the um, recent financial crisis that we've gone through, where a lot of people kind of saw what was coming, and a very small number of people who are now really mad at the titans of Wall Street didn't seem to see anything wrong with the way things were going. They, They remind me of the same sort of people who might have had no problem with Saddam Hussein's conduct until 20 years after the fact. I'm just saying they can be whipped up into a frenzy pretty easily, but I don't think that, I think the, the, the connection with the Wall Street thing is we went from a philosophy of looking at money as an intrinsic, valuable thing that we could use to somewhat make more, and we turned it into a wildly speculative thing that lost all touch with reality, and I think that we're sort of in danger of philosophically going off the wrong way with health care. Do you think that there is a genuine right of a citizen to be provided health care by their government?
2: Well, I think there is a, uh, that health care is a right for all, all Americans. I believe that. Now, in this particular case, uh, this is not that, that health care uh, insurance is not being provided by the government except in the form of the subsidy for those people who can't afford it. Uh, but that's nothing new. I mean, we, we do those kinds of things for poor people all the time. But I do believe health care is a fundamental right for every American in this country. And I also believe that if we change the system and make it a fundamental right for everybody that we can actually get control of cost and, uh, and uh, spend less money on health care than we are right now. You know, we, we spend more money on health care than any other country in the world, and yet while we have some pretty good health care, it's not the best in the world. Um, And so there's a lot of statistical data that demonstrates that uh, in some areas we come up short when it comes to other countries. But I do, in answer to your question, feel like health care is a fundamental right. It's not only the uh, humanitarian thing uh, to do, but it's also an economic uh, there's also the economic reason to do it as well. We'll spend less money if we reform the system and get this thing done right. Let me just throw in here. It seems like a, a lot of people –
1: um, I think that question, DJ's question uh, involves – I mean it, it sounds like almost a socialist kind of thing. It's a, it's a fundamental – right, or you can make it sound like that. But in this system, I mean different people are going to have different kinds of health plans. Different people are still going to have access to different kinds of health care depending on their means, I would assume.
2: Absolutely. Uh, This is not socialistic where you have to take one plan and that's all you have. Mm -hmm. People will have choices and uh, they can make those choices and knowing full well that uh, no matter how sick they are, they can get a health care plan.
3: Okay. Uh, Congressman, we have another email. This question comes from uh, Alan in Bloomington. He writes, one argument against extending a Medicare sort of health insurance option to more Americans is that doing so might lead to socialized medicine. Regardless of the extent to which that argument is correct, though, what would be so bad about having socialized medicine? That is, what would be so bad about having universal health care in our own country? Doesn't universal health care work well in some other countries?
2: I think if you ask most Canadians and most people in Britain, they are very satisfied with their socialized system of health care and don't understand why Americans have the kind of system that we have. Now, I hear all the stories from uh, the more conservative element uh, in, this, in, in my district that says, oh, no, that's not true. They hate it, but they don't, and all the polls show that they do. Uh, but that's not the American way. Uh, the American way is not to have their kinds of systems. Uh, but I still believe that health care is a right in this country, and I think uh, what we have come up with, at least it's a start, uh, is a system that will change the way uh, we uh, deliver health care and the way we buy insurance and, and, uh, and, and, and get uh, health insurance. <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, it's not socialistic by any stretch of the imagination. I know the uh, uh, the it was an email. You say that this came from the emailer uh, uh, believes in socialism, and but there's a whole lot of people who don't. The word scares them, and we've not done that, and that's the reason why we have not gone down that route. Because uh, the word socialism spe- uh, scares a lot of people. In this particular case, we're not talking about socialism.
3: What, you, what sort of responses do you have uh, from people that say, uh, oh, a Canadian system, if America were to get something close to that, you'd have to wait a year to get a liver transplant and, and all the delays and, 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 and the government would turn you down for care? How would you respond to those, uh, to those criticisms of the current legislation? Well, Daniel, I'm not here to defend
2: the, the Canadian system or, or the Britain system because that's not the way we're going. But uh, the horror stories that you hear sometimes about their waiting periods and all of that sort of thing is uh, uh, many times exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a couple phone calls. Daniel, let's go back
1: to the phones and then we'll go back to your emails and questions and my emails and questions. So let's go to Laura first, though. Laura?
0: Hi. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I am a uh, chaplain. My husband is a ER doctor. And we've been kind of upset about all the people talking about death panels and heard that the uh, provision for discussions of end of life care have been removed from the House bill. And I thought that was really unfortunate because I realized that there's a lot of waste in our um, system from people getting care at in the very last days of their life that they may not want and and their families don't want them to have, but they didn't have these conversations ahead of time to find out what their options are and what it meant with their doctors. And so... Forced into being on respirators or having other procedures that are very costly to the system, that if they had had those conversations ahead of time, they would have said, No, 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 don't ever do that to me. Um, You know, Mr. Hill, I was just wondering. If you could talk about that and how in the world we can get this turned around so people understand what the intent was instead of all this scare stuff about death panels.
2: Laura, thank you for your question. You'll be happy to know that that language was not removed. It's still in the bill. In addition to that, uh, living wills have have been written into the bill as a matter of choice for people to check off whether they want it or not. So it's still in there. But uh, what's happening is uh, the people who don't want health care are using that language to describe it as death panels? I mean, Sarah Palin—I will repeat what she had to uh, uh, say again—is the one that's espousing this out there, and it's scaring people. And it's not true. There's not, it has nothing to do with death panels. The government's not going to force you to uh, uh, force you not to have uh, medical treatment at the end, uh, near the end of your life, if you want it. Uh, but uh, the language in there that you described that was removed has not been removed. It's still there.
1: Um, Barron, the uh, the House bill was over 1,000 pages. As I understand, the Senate bill is about 600 pages. Are there things that were taken out of the House bill that you wish had been left in there? Do you know of anything?
2: Uh, not off the top of my head, Bob. Now, you know, we, uh, As uh, one of the people who was negotiating things, uh, I actually put some things in there that I thought strengthened it mm-hmm. and uh, helped uh, some small businesses out. So um, uh, there was anything specifically removed from the uh, original proposal other than – Uh, some technical issues that always have to be corrected uh, when you uh, originally put forth a bill. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go back to Emily on the phone. Emily? Hello? Hi, Emily.
4: Go ahead.
9: I just wanted to comment um, that everybody says this is going to raise, possibly even raise our taxes because this is going to be such an expensive thing. Well, I saw this thing in the paper about the kind of salaries that CEOs get from insurance companies. And I have a great deal of confidence that the government is not gonna pay anybody twenty seven million a year to run this government's plan. And I'd rather pay into the government for a plan that benefits many many people than pay towards a salary of somebody I admit their salaries are not as great as the um, Wall Street people's, but it's still a a light year away from what most of us have earned in our lives. And I would rather contribute to that, to the government, and extend this to more people. Um, And but I do uphold the right. Anybody who wants to keep a insurance company private policy. They should do it. They should get the kind of care they prefer. But I think we should be more generous about opening it up to more people. I I agree with the man who talked about the prisons, and I agree that many young people would benefit from having good medical care at the beginning of their lives. They would be less discouraged at making good careers and become productive, tax paying citizens and and I just wanted to say I really would like to support this I I on Medicare and I have to pay more for the twenty percent supplement from a private insurance company than I pay the government for the eighty percent that gets paid by Medicare so I think if we consider how we're spending our money we would be for a government-sponsored plan.
2: All right. Thank you, Emily. Barron? Yeah. Emily, I, I appreciate you calling in with, with those remarks. Uh, I, I, along with probably everybody else, concur with you, the fact that uh, $28 million bonuses is a little bit extreme. So um, um, I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Let's go back to Joe
1: on the phone. Joe?
4: Hello?
1: Hi, Joe. Go ahead.
4: Hi. Yes, I was glad to hear Baron talk about the rights of um, health care. So I was wondering, are you going to also say, well, there's responsibilities with that, like the right of free speech until you libel somebody? So if you have a right to health care, are people going to have to be responsible to get that health care, not smoke, exercise, keep their body mass ratio down, uh, things like that? In other words, if you have a right, then you have a responsibility to engage that right. So are you going to now say, well, you better start living healthy or you're going to lose that right?
2: Thanks. Well, I don't think anybody ever loses the right, but I do agree that we should live more healthy lives, Joe. And uh, there's a, a lot of language in this bill that uh, provides incentives for those people not to smoke, not to be overweight, all those sorts of things. There will be some uh, benefits in terms of uh, premiums that you would uh, uh, will not have to pay. Uh, and some benefits that you will receive if you live a, a healthy lifestyle. But we need to encourage that, and uh, the prevention section in this section does that. All right.
1: Thanks a lot for that call, Joe. And Angel is next.
2: Hello?
8: Yes, good afternoon, gentlemen.
1: Yes, go right ahead.
8: Yes, sir. Uh, Congressman Hill, wanted to uh, in, in looking at all the, uh, the discussion and debate about the health care bill, I have seen very precious little about the state of, uh, of those people, those Americans with disabilities, particularly those who are dual eligibles. What, at this point, does the bill say or does not say about the continued health care for those individuals?
2: It doesn't address the issue of disab- uh, disabled uh, uh, folks. Uh, I forget what your name was. But, uh, I know. I know. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't address it at all.
8: Not at all. So there's no discussion as to what to do with dual eligibles and things of that nature?
2: Uh, not in this bill, there's not.
8: Okay. Any, uh, any, any chance that perhaps it might be brought up as an amendment?
2: Well, it's, there, it's, uh, it's very possible. And since you've raised the issue, uh, this is a, a part of the listening effort that I'm going through uh, over the last two weeks and three more weeks to come to get ideas uh, to bring up uh, in Congress. So I'll bring your idea up and we'll see what kind of traction it gets. Okay,
8: well, I appreciate that very much. Thanks, sir. You're All welcome. right.
1: Thanks a lot for the call. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, 285 9348
3: or you can go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, Congressman Hill, let's uh, talk a bit about uh, the cost uh, of the bill as it, as it currently stands. Uh, much of the opposition so far has been based on uh, misinformation, picking things out like the death panels. We've talked about uh, rationing. Uh, I saw Senator Luger speak in Bloomington earlier this week, and, and he's against it for an entirely different reason. He acknowledged the nearly 50 million people without insurance, but he said uh, the country's broke and we can't afford to pay for it. So can the country, which is so badly strained financially, afford to take this on its back? Well, I have a lot of respect for
2: Senator Luger. Uh, I just think he's wrong on this one. Uh, look,
3: I, I believe, and I said this earlier,
2: that in the, if we do this thing right, uh, it will cost less health care in this country, not more. And so uh, uh, I I think uh, in terms of the government and private citizens, we'll all save money if we reform the system and uh, make sure that uh, the 47 million Americans who don't have health insurance now get it. Uh, You know, the 47 million have it now. They just go to the hospital and they can't pay for it. So they pass the cost on to the rest of us. That's the system. That's a system, in my view, that is broken and a system that's creating these insurance rates and and medical. supplies to go up so dramatically. So in my view, we can't afford not to do something because the senator is right. The country is, is not in very good financial shape right now. And I think if we reform the system, we can actually assist that, not uh, deter it.
3: What? How much you, right now will it cost the country? Uh, there have been a lot of concerns about its cost, saying that we can't afford it. It's, it's going to be in the trillions. What is your understanding of how much it will cost and, and uh, there's been talk about uh, you know, they'll, they'll find the money, the pay-go as you go along. You know, they'll, they'll either uh, cut something somewhere else to pay for it. Will this pay for itself?
2: Uh, well, there's – theoretically, it can pay for itself. I as a, uh, practically don't think that that's possible. So I think there's going to have to be some source of revenue. Uh, but uh, in answer to your question, uh, I was one of the negotiators of this bill. Uh, one of the things that uh, I insisted on is that it at least come under a trillion dollars in, in, in terms of the price tag uh, and that if we could find that in the reforms, that would be the ideal situation. I'm not sure we can find a trillion dollars in reforms to pay for it, uh, but some people think that we can. When I say some people, I'm talking about some economists think that we can. Uh, but if, if we can't come up with the entire trillion dollars in reforms, then we're going to have to have a source of revenue. And what's being proposed right now um, is um, three hundred and fifty uh, th- people who make $350,000 and more um, as a couple uh, would be taxed. Uh, everybody under that would not be. So the vast majority of Americans would not be taxed on this, but the very wealthy would be. All right, we have about, we have uh, maybe eight
1: minutes to go and we have four people waiting to talk on the phone, so All let's right. go first to Eleanor, if you could keep your question fairly quick.
9: Hi, I've got the radio on and I don't know what's going on. Anyway, has anybody ever thought about giving a refund if you don't get sick?
2: Well, that's not being proposed, Eleanor. What do you, what do you have in mind?
1: Well, she's gone. She's has gone. gone. On.
2: <laughs> yeah, a refund if you don't
1: get sick. So it's like, yeah, if you don't use your health care, you get a rebate or something. Yeah, I think that's what she's. I don't
2: know how that system would actually work, but right. uh, it's an interesting concept. All right, let's go back
1: to the phone. Dave is next. Dave?
8: Good afternoon, Congressman.
4: Hi, right,
2: Dave.
8: I pay uh, like $1,000 a month for health care, the $900 per person deductible, which I never meet. And I would much rather pay $500 in additional taxes to have a Medicare-type program than to continue with my employer-chosen and controlled health care.
2: All right. All right, Dave. I appreciate that. Uh, I think he said he's spending $1,000 a month for his health care. That's expensive. That's one of the reasons why I think we need uh, changes uh, in this country. I I, I always go around my district and I tell two stories. Uh, One is uh, about a fellow um, jewelry store owner in Salem, Indiana, who his insurance premiums went went up 28 percent. And he told me if it goes up any higher, Barron, I'm going to drop it. Uh, and the Dave makes the point: the uh, the costs keep on going up and up, and for him, they keep on going up as well. And we need to try to get a handle on it.
1: Are pharmaceutical costs involved in this? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what what uh, what kind of a program would? would it would be anything like uh, Medicare D or whatever it is that, that has uh, what certain caps on on pharmacy bills for seniors.
2: Uh, that was worked out in the Ways and Means Committee, okay. Dave, or uh, Bob, and uh, and I don't know exactly the ex- what ex- they kicked out of there. I, one of the things that uh, was agreed upon that when uh, the pharmaceutical p- companies put new drugs on the market, uh, that uh, what they get in premiums, they're going to have to rebate some of that back to the federal government. Uh, but that was a, a, a deal, for lack of, lack of a better word, that was worked out between the White House and the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and I don't know what the – I don't know – I can't tell the the listening audience right now exactly what kind of payments the pharmaceutical company is going to get for drugs, but it is in the bill. I do know that. Okay. Let's go to Mary now. Mary?
10: Yes. Hello, Congressman. Hi, Mary. Hi. Um, I am wondering about uh, just what you were talking about. I have a brother-in-law who lives in Evansville. His wife works at Mead Johnson. He is disabled with MS. And his medication is very expensive. It's, uh, it's an experimental drug. Um, now he claims that his insurance provider with Mead Johnson would change and go to the public option and um, that the public option would not cover his medications. Uh, has there been discussion about the people who might already be on a certain medication that is a very expensive drug. Somewhere, uh, I, I, I the number that sticks in my head is like sixteen thousand a month. Um, just wondering what if there's anything like that in the bill.
2: Well, I, I appreciate the question, Mary, and it's a thoughtful question to ask. Uh, uh, to my knowledge, there's no language in the bill that addresses the situation. Uh, was it your brother? I've- I think she I think he's off. To, she's off. Too, OK, so. but uh, uh, there is no language that specifically addresses the problem that would occur if he was forced to go to the public plan. Um, and I think it's probably I think it would be an error to say that uh, that medication would not be covered. Uh, but I'll look into it. I mean, it's a fair question to ask and let me look into it and uh, and see what I can find out. Uh, Baron, there's so many details in
1: this. And as she asked, you know, in this specific case would maybe his drugs not be covered. But I, w- I would assume that once, if this bill passes, once we get into it, there must be some kind of an appeal process where if, if some specific thing is happening to some, one specific patient, there's somewhere they could go to try to get their problem solved.
2: Yeah, well, one of the places they could go is my office. That's, <laughs> that's, the things, that's why I'm here for. Mm-hmm. But uh, she asked uh, a legitimate question and there are things that are coming up like what she just described that uh, I need to hear about in order for me to address them when I go back to congress so i'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you posed the problem
1: okay uh valerie you're next, and we have less than two minutes to go
11: um, yeah i'll make it quick. I was really saddened a couple of minutes ago to hear you villainizing the forty some million people who can't afford uh, insurance because I think before you blame them, you should look at the CEOs and what they're making and the profits of the pharmaceutical companies. But anyway, it's those very people that I'm concerned about because I'm one of them and I'm fortunate to live in a community like Bloomington that has the volunteers in medicine. However, I think the people in Washington must be clearly out of touch with how many truly poverty stricken people there are in this country if you think that that some of these people can come up with, you know, eight or ten percent of an insurance premium when they're going to food banks to get food and you know they're getting foreclosed on or they're they're living under a bridge, um, and so they get the premiums you know subsidized. You know what, how, what kind of copay are they going to have? What kind of deductible? You know if you have a five thousand dollar deductible and you have your premiums covered, that's not going to help.
1: Valerie.
9: About those people
1: yeah, let, let me have uh, the congressman answer that Val, uh, Baron
2: well, thank quickly. you uh, Valerie. I, I think you misheard i wasn 't vilifying uh, the forty seven million Americans that are not on, who don 't have health insurance. I was actually saying they're now going to have an opportunity to get health insurance in answer to your question about uh, deductibles and copayments, It really depends upon what insurance plan that you select, so that 's how uh, it 's determined it 's determined by the choice that an individual makes on what plan he wants. Uh, very quickly, Baron. In the next 15
1: seconds, where is this going to go next?
2: Well, when I return to Congress, it, it is uh, laying before the House of Representatives. So now we will take it up uh, and either pass the bill or not pass the bill. But there's going to be a lot of amendments and a lot of changes. This is just the first step in the process, and it's a long way to go before it becomes law.
1: All right. Thank you, Baron Hill. I want to thank Daniel Robinson for being here with me today. Producer Ariana Prothero and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
4: edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times a podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org
1: Production support comes from Closets 2 providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington 332-2233 Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495
8: for delivery.